welcome to The Daily Buzz. This is Jessica Miller. I'm a Tribune reporter and your host for today. Utah got a new holiday this week, Juneteenth National Freedom Day. Governor Spencer Cox signed legislation on Thursday that makes June 19th a state holiday. The day commemorates the end of slavery in the United States. The law was sponsored by State Representative Sandra Hollins, a Salt Lake City Democrat who is the first black woman to serve in the Utah legislature. Because Juneteenth falls on a weekend this year, Utahns will celebrate the holiday on Monday, June 20th. Today, state lawmakers will return to Capitol Hill in an attempt to overturn Governor Cox's veto of House Bill 11. It's a bill that would ban transgender girls from participating in school sports that match their gender identity. The Tribune's Robert Gerke has been following the controversy around the bill, which was rushed through the legislature in the final moments of this year's general session. He talks with managing editor Grant Burningham about the governor's veto and what to expect today on the Hill. With us to talk about the transgender sports ban, Governor Cox's veto, and his column on the subject is the Tribune's Robert Gerke. Robert, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Really quickly, why don't you bring someone who doesn't know this story up to speed on what HB 11 does? Yeah, so the bill essentially says that uh, transgender girls cannot compete with cisgender girls, period. Uh, end of sentence. Um, transgender boys can compete if they get approval from this uh, athletics commission that is set up under the legislation. Uh, it doesn't affect private schools at all. And uh, the anticipation is uh, that the ACLU or Quality Utah or other groups are going to file a lawsuit over this on Friday. The legislature is going to meet in a special session first to override the veto of, of Governor Cox of the bill and then to um, indemnify the high school athletics association. So basically, taxpayers will assume the cost of any litigation on that. The athletics association had said that the, the cost of the litigation could bankrupt the the association. And that was not something that legislators were willing to do. So they're going to put $500,000 of taxpayer money into a fund to uh, for the litigation that they're expecting as a result of their veto override on Friday. So where is Cox in this? He said initially he would veto this bill. He did indeed veto it. He wrote this incredibly heartfelt letter about his reasoning for it. Um, yeah. Is there anything he can do at this point? Is he out of the negotiations? There, there really isn't much he can do. I mean, I think that, you know, he called the special session to indemnify the Athletics Association because he recognized that the override was going to happen and that they needed to sort of minimize the damage. I think, um, you know, the, the the veto letter was kind of a remarkable thing, and, and you can read it at sltrib.com. Um, because usually these veto letters are three or four paragraphs written in legalese, uh, generally by the, you know, the governor's legal counsel. Um, this is one that he told me that he wanted to, he wanted people to hear it in his words because he knew it was controversial. He wanted to lay out his thinking and his reasoning on this. And, and, and he does so, I think, very effectively running down the problems that he has with the, the process that got us to this point. Um, because, because as we've discussed on the show before, uh, the legislature sprung this at the late hours of the session, um, sort of undoing a year or more of negotiations on trying to find some compromise uh, that was going to be the commission, but then turned out to be the ban. So that was a problem we had, the, the, the cost of the litigation. And then it, he finished with just sort of the, the human 
touch, I think, you know, that this is going to affect transgender kids who are already struggling. We've got three transgender boys and one transgender girl competing uh, statewide. And so, you know, it, it's not a it's not a significant problem. And then, you know, and then, and then sort of the, the mental health issues, you know, there's there it's more than half of transgender kids have report that they've attempted suicide. Um, you know, and, and think he thinks this could have a, a detrimental effect in that regard as well. But for the, to go to your question, uh, he says that, you know, he, he's, he's said his piece, he's vetoed the bill. Uh, there's really not much else he can do at this point. And uh, we're just going to watch and wait for that veto override tomorrow afternoon. So when this came out of the legislature, it fell short of the two thirds needed to keep this from being vetoed. Why does the legislature suddenly have those votes? Yeah, and, and to, to be clear on one thing, it does. It, the governor can still veto a bill that gets two thirds. It re- requires two thirds of the votes to do an override. And when it came out, as you know, they, they didn't uh, they didn't have the two thirds votes. But we've seen a lot of Republicans since the session ended uh, flipping, and and a lot of it has to do with the pressure they're getting from the party's conservative faction. Um, and the power that they have in the convention process. I think a lot of them are worried that they uh, either are facing a primary or could face a primary in two years. Uh, and, and there seems to be a political cal- calculus uh, at play here. From what I understand, you know, at least in the Senate, pretty much all of the Republicans who voted against it are going to vote to override the veto. So uh, it, it's a pretty dramatic shift. The bill hasn't changed any uh, outside of the outside of the funding for the High School Activities Association. And so, you know, this seems to be, from everything I can tell, a politically motivated decision on their part to try to minimize their exposure in the Republican primaries going forward. Okay, Robert Gerke, thanks for talking. Yep, thank you, Grant. Next, culture reporter Palak Jaiswal talks about the Hindu holiday of Holi, which will be celebrated this weekend in Utah, and why it's more than just throwing some colors at the end of winter. Holi, or as it's more colloquially known across the United States, the Festival of Colors was last week on March 18th. It's a traditionally Hindu holiday best known for its throwing of colorful powder. Some refer to it as the Festival of Spring or even the Festival of Love. In short, it's many different things to many different people. Even in India, all 28 states of the country have different approaches to celebrating the holiday. This week in Utah County, at the Spanish Fork Sri Sri Radha Krishna Temple, the festival will take place. As an Indian American, I've attended the festival here a few times, and while I've had fun, I've always wondered if those around me, color smeared, knew of the cultural origins of the festival because the Utah version has been modified and packaged to cater to a less diverse audience. In my story, I discuss the risks of walking the fine line between appropriation and appreciation and what makes this joyous holiday what it is. Thanks, Palak. You can check out her story at sltrib.com. Utah health officials reported 37 more coronavirus-caused deaths on Thursday, but not all of those deaths happened this week. 33 of the deaths happened before February 24th, health officials said. And as COVID case counts have decreased, state and local epidemiologists have been reviewing past deaths to make sure all COVID-related deaths have been counted. And that's it for today. Thanks to the Tribune's Shoelle Cardenas for editing the Daily Buzz today, and a huge shout out to Salt Lake City Band, the Pelicans, for our music. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back again on Monday.